the expectations is to win MLS Cup. I, I fully believe the Revolution are the best team in Major League Soccer. I know Seattle fans are a little salty this week, uh, but the expectation is MLS Cup or bust. Um, it's great to have the Supporters Shield, but it would be very heartbreaking to kind of go into the playoffs with this hype uh, and get knocked out, kind of what we did to Philadelphia last year. Um, I, I think that do that, that'd be very demoralizing overall for for that to happen. So um, it's interesting because. I know a lot has been made of the layoff. Uh, locally, a lot has been made of the layoff, and there's an expected, I think, 23 days uh, between the end of the season and the first Revolution playoff game. And that's after, I think, 10 days between this Colorado game and the Miami game. So uh, Bruce Arena has kind of mentioned that he's going to be looking for a USL side to scrimmage with or maybe a local side to kind of play in between that gap to keep the legs fresh. Um, so, I mean, rest is not going to be a factor here. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be sitting any of these starters. They're going to expect them to play uh, and keep them fresh. Uh, and if anyone can keep, can, can, as you mentioned, five of those, those five teams you said that have won the Supporter Shield and MLS Cup, I, I believe in the rare instances it's happened, Bruce Arena has done it twice. Uh, so, you know, I, I, if anyone can do it, it's Bruce Arena. Um, there's really no excuses for the revolution not to have at least a deep playoff run, uh, but expectation right now, bring home the cup. Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 24. This is your host, Blem. Listeners, welcome back for yet another episode. Thank you for joining us once again. This is your co-host, Mike D. Week 32 of the 2021 MLS season is in the books, and deadline day is right around the corner. Two more teams clinched their spots in the playoffs over the weekend. Sporting Kansas City body-slammed. Their way to a 2-1 win over the Seattle Sounders, thanks to another goal from the great Scott, Johnny Russell, who has scored in seven straight games. Brian Galvan and his two assists galvanized, go ahead, I did there, Mike D, the Rapids to a 2-0 win and a playoff berth for the second straight year. Just six points separate second place from eighth in the East, and a lot of movement happened over the weekend. The Red Bulls continue to be red hot, extending their unbeaten streak to eight games in their 2-1 victory over the Columbus Crew, moving them above the playoff line and into sixth place. Our beloved crew, on the other hand, well, according to statistics site 538, they have just a 2% chance of making the playoffs. How things have changed from a year ago. New York City FC scored a touchdown on a baseball field defeating D.C. United 6-0, ending their six-match winless streak. Philly took a dupe on Nashville and jumped them in the standings, moving the Union into second place. 31,308 Chicago Fire fans went gaga over Gabriel Slanina as he led the Fire to a 1-0 win, making that the 17-year-old's fourth shutout in nine appearances. One for the future there. And FC Cincinnati are beginning to taste the blood as they are destined for the wooden spoon for the third time in their three seasons in MLS. Oh yeah, 
The New England Revolution are the 2021 MLS Supporters Shield winners. So on this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, we are joined by diehard Revs fan and host of the Revolution Recap Podcast, Greg Johnstone. Greg, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Hey guys, thank you for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be here, very honored that you had me on the podcast, and very excited that the Revolution finally have an MLS trophy we can call our own. Uh, it's been a really magical season for us, and I personally think very well earned. I think the Revolution are the best team in soccer right now. So very excited to talk some revs with you today. Yes, sir. You're riding the high. Absolutely. It does not get any better than this. And, and right now, especially to you, we didn't expect anything going into that game with Orlando to, to come out with a point, to come out with a comeback win. Uh, really just all the, everything's bouncing the Revolution's way right now. All right, Greg, before we dive into your love for the revolution and this historic season, let's start this episode off with our MLS Week 32 goals of the week. Blake, you want to go first? Sure. I'll lead by example here. My goal of the week deserves a, deserves a lot more respect than what the hometown LA Galaxy broadcasters gave it. Jesus Ferreira opened the scoring for FC Dallas against the LA Galaxy over the weekend with a finesse shot to the bottom left corner from about 22 yards out. The strike left the LA Galaxy goalkeeper Jonathan Bond frozen. And the broadcasters wildly unamused at the same time, to the point I thought they were broadcasting a PGA tournament that you nap to on a mid-Sunday afternoon. The U.S. Men's National Team prospect, prospect now has seven goals to add to his eight assists. That is my goal of the week. Greg, what about you? I'm going to go for a flare of the dramatics here with Josie Altador's free kick goal in stoppage time. 95th minute, a low kick around the wall. Ties the game against Montreal in a rivalry game between Toronto and Montreal, the team formerly known as the Montreal Impact. Um, yeah, first goal for Josie since returning from injury. Probably a big weight lifted off of his shoulders. Not a lot has gone right for TFC this year, so a really, really big result there in that game. And pretty consequential, too, as Montreal sits with 43 points after that game. They're currently sitting in eighth. Uh, they're tied with the Red Bulls and Atlanta United. They're one point behind New York City FC. That's a really big mess of an Eastern Conference standings right there. So we could be looking in a couple of weeks and looking back at that goal as a pretty important goal in how the Eastern Conference shakes out. Yeah, and I mean, for Toronto to do that, you know, when there's really no chance of them making it in. <laughs> so kind of just a, a devastating blow there for Montreal. But for me, my goal of the week goes to Maxi Morales. Um, New York City FC put six up, I think, against D.C., um, and my specific goal here, obviously, is Maxi Morales when he starts and finishes their third goal against D.C. So he he gets the ball uh, right inside the um, attacking half, and he plays a big ball um, to Santiago Rodriguez on the left side of the 18. Santiago Rodriguez quickly finds Castellanos with the ball uh, that sets him up for what was almost a beautiful bicycle kick. Um, but, you know, didn't really hit it as as well as he could have. Hamid saved it, um, bounced it out to the left-hand side, and then look look who's there, right? Maxi Morales comes blazing through to uh, to bury it um, back left-hand side. So he starts the play, finds a good ball on the left-hand side, and then he follows up and finishes it. It's just, for me, you love to see that, you know, starting and finishing a play. Um, well done to Maxi Morales there. Tati Castellanos was feeling himself with that one. He yeah. was already on the brace. I don't know if he was already on the brace, but he had a brace in that game. And for him to even was. attempt for him to even attempt to throw that bicycle kick was absolutely absurd. And he hit it really well. That would have been maybe well, it definitely goal of the week, maybe goal of the year candidate. 
Yeah, I think it. I think it may have been definitely goal of the week. Uh, but there's been some pretty, pretty good goals this year. So I don't know. It would have been in the running for sure. But Greg, we're gonna jump into our segment now, and this is our special segment. We like to pick a moment from the previous week's action that we thought went underlooked because we always talk about the big moments, right? So let's give the little ones some love. Um, I'm going to go first on this one. So for my all the small things, uh, it's going to go to Chicago. Now, Secular plays a big ball to Miguel Navarro on the left-hand side, who's making he's all the way up right there in the corner of the 18. And he deals with this. The small things here is the way that he deals with this big ball and what the react, what what happens after the fact, right? So Seculus plays this big ball, and the ball's coming in over the top of of um, Navarro's right shoulder, and he takes the touch, and it bounces right up to his chest, and instead of letting the ball come down, he realizes the pressure is coming on, and he's got to get that service in. So he gets the touch off and the service all in in and two touches off of a huge ball coming in from, from the back there. So for me, Navarro's ability to, to deal with that touch and get the ball across um, to Robert Barrett, who then turns inside and, and strikes it home to, to put the goal away was, was just fan, fantastic for me. So um, that's my, that's my, all the small things for this week. That touch was so saucy, so soft. Just and for the swagger, this, yeah. Foot like a pillow. Soft as a baby's bottom, if you will. Oh, yeah. Chuck? Yeah, so I'll go next with my all the small things. My small thing comes from the 38-pass buildup that led to the game-winning goal for Sporting Kansas City. Throughout this methodical possession, the Sounders' line of confrontation got higher and higher. Sporting invited the pressure, and the magic happened in the last three passes, starting with goalkeeper Tim Melia. Once Melia received the back pass, both Ilya and Roger Espinoza checked back towards the ball to be options for their goalkeeper. Ilya received the ball in the half turn, and in a split second, Roger Espinoza realized the Sounders midfielder overcommitting to his checking run, turned to run into the space in behind, and received a through ball that broke the Sounders' press and ultimately led to the game-winning goal. The spatial awareness of Espinoza in this play to realize where the space was offensively after inviting the pressure is my all the small things. And Greg, I think most New England Revolution fans would agree with me there because that's the one that won the Rev the Shield. Yeah, certainly a great moment for us for sure. Uh, my, my, all the, oh, my all the small things this week, I'm actually going to go to the Revolution game. Uh, what else would I choose? I'm going to be a bit of a homer here and well, Adam Buxa is going to get a lot of the shine being the player of the week and scoring a brace off the bench. I did want to highlight one play late in the game. It was off of a corner kick where it just seemed like Orlando City was very out of sorts and really not looking like a team that's ready to go into the playoffs. Just really, as I say, just completely disorganized on a set piece. Gustavo Bo takes a quick short corner to Carle's heel. There's one guy down in the corner. So after the, sh the, the short corner goes to heel, heel passes it back to Bo, who goes along the baseline. And then Bo slides the ball across to Dewan Jones, who has a really, really nice shot on that. And Pedro Galisi makes a huge, huge save to keep the score two to one at the moment. If you go back and you watch that play, count the number of players from Orlando that are standing around in the box that don't have anyone on them. And just look at Dewan Jones and how much space he has completely alone, completely on an island. Um, and, and for such an attacking 
uh, uh, threatening player as Dewan Jones is. Uh, it's just a really, really dangerous position to leave someone completely unmarked in the box that late in the game. So Orlando City, obviously not a great result for them overall, letting the Revolution come away with a point in that game. That looked like a game that they should have had in the bag, and then the 80th minute happened. And really, you could just talk about that full 10 minutes from Orlando City and how they really didn't do a whole lot right defensively. But that set piece, even though it's not ending up on the score sheet, um, that, that set piece was a, a really poor moment from Orlando City. Yeah, I mean, it was... We talked a little bit before the podcast. You just you're referring to Orlando City's lack there of defense the last ten minutes and almost their their laziness and what looked to be tired legs. What what we talked about before the podcast was a was the ball from Carlos Hill to Dewan Jones out left that then led to uh, one of the Adam Buxa goals. Junior Urso, uh, he could have taken two steps to the left to cut off the passing lane from Carlos Hill to Dewan Jones, and and he didn't. He left that passing lane wide open. And when you talk about small things, that's one of the smallest details of the game is just doing the early work and getting in position. And he left that passing lane wide open and it led directly to a goal. So, yeah, I agree. The Orlando City FC defense, probably the last 10 minutes of that half was lackadaisical. And once that ball is up there for Adam Books, uh, there's not a whole lot of defending it. Adam Books is amazing in the air. I think that was his sixth goal from headers this season, and there was really not a chance that that ball could have been saved. So, yeah, little things that happen a little bit behind the play, that leads to amazing scoring chances from the Revolution and the Revs made him pay. All the small things. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we'll be discussing Greg's Revolution fandom, his emotions after the team won its first domestic silverware since 2007 playoff expectations, and so much more. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each At a Time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 24, featuring Revolution Recap Podcast host, Greg Johnstone. Head over to addedtimeoutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel Use code Gone Wild at checkout, all one word, for 10% off your entire order. Greg, before we get into this 2021 Supporter Shield winning Revs team, tell us a little bit about where your love for the Revolution started and how that love has developed into covering the team on Revolution Recap. Yeah, well, that that goes uh, to Sean Donahue, my co-host, who uh, I've got to blame him a bit for that. I met him in college. Uh, we went to school in Rhode Island and at that time, Sean had actually started Revolution Recap as a radio show, a local radio show in Rhode Island. Uh, and he covered the team throughout those years in high school and college. And essentially just through knowing him and living with him in college, uh, he kind of slowly, bit by bit, got us into the revolution. Um, 
me and my roommates that is now unfortunately this was 2010 2011 so i had missed all the good stuff at that point but uh in 2013 2014 uh, i started contributing for new england soccer today which is a website that sean uh was the co-founder of along with brian o'connell who was a longtime beat reporter for uh, the new england revolution up there uh and so i contributed with them for four years and then life got in the way we couldn't maintain the website uh, as we were uh, and we essentially decided to transition to back to a podcast. Sean and I decided to reboot, reboot uh, Revolution Recap, and it's been a podcast for about four years now. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed covering the team, and it's been really interesting kind of seeing these uh, the Revolution go through different phases of kind of the doldrums in 2011, uh, and that being the introduction, and then the 2014 run to the MLS Cup, which was a bit of a Cinderella story. They really turned that season around kind of midway through and then to kind of fall down into the Brad Friedel years and then to see Bruce Arena totally revitalize it. Um, it's been a very, very interesting trip with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned how you got into being a Revs fan because the way that I've become a crew fan is almost identical <laughs> because um, when we were in college, Blake and I, we were roommates um, and I wasn't into MLS at the time. I had been a Liverpool supporter, still am, watched EPL primarily, um, but really wasn't, aside from the U.S. men's national team, into domestic soccer. Um, and so through him being a diehard crew supporter and other Ohio natives that were on our team being crew fans, I, I was kind of just under pressure to become a crew fan. And then obviously Blake and I became, you know, as close as we became after school. And that just was, you know, I was, I was sucked in at that point. I'm almost like a Browns fan as well. You know, you might as well call me a Browns fan too, but, um, but I digress. So getting into the revolution now more specifically, it's been 14 years uh, since the New England revolution have lifted a domestic trophy. And in that time, the revs have finished seventh place or below in the Eastern conference standings eight times this year in 2021, the Revs are the best team in the league by 12 points and chasing a single-season points record. The New England Revolution are the 2021 Supporter Shield winners, as we have mentioned, as is everywhere. The anticipation has been building since early summer that this might be the year, and here we are. When it, become, when it became official late Saturday afternoon, what were your emotions? How did you feel? How did you celebrate? And what does this trophy mean to you and the entire fan base? Well, actually, it's a bit interesting because I was actually going to a wedding with an open bar, so I celebrated quite hard. <laughs> uh, I celebrated the supporter shield and my friend getting married in that order. So, uh, no, it was actually a – I don't want to say it was a bit of a let off, but um, it was kind of like Leicester City winning the Premier League. Uh, it's another game getting the results, uh, and you kind of hear about it. Like, I, I, I always pictured the Revolution winning or getting a result as opposed to Sporting Kansas City or Seattle drawing or, or winning or – you know, another result in the, the league uh, clinching the supporter shield. So in a, in a weird way, I was a little disappointed because I had kind of pictured it happening in Foxborough probably at some point this week. Um, but overall, you know, just a lot of relief, uh, a, a lot of happiness. Um, I really feel for the supporters and the fans that have kind of stuck through this team, uh, as I say, as I, as I went through, through all of the lows. And you mentioned the revolution going 14 years without a domestic trophy. Um, that in itself seems like such a strange sentence because you learn about the history of this club and how good those teams were from the, the early and mid 2000s that it's been really that long since we've even been in contention or we've even won a trophy. So um, in terms of emotion, um, it, it it's really gratifying that this team 
is going to always be remembered as a team that did something really special. And I kind of look back at last year's uh, Philadelphia Union team with Brendan Aronson leaving after the season. And even though they didn't win MLS Cup, I know that Union fans are, are going to be grateful of that season and they have the supporter shield to kind of look back on that. Um, you know, this is this might be the Revolution's best chance to win MLS Cup in this kind of window because Tejan Buchanan is leaving after the season. Adam Buxa might be playing himself out of Foxborough as well with his recent form. Uh, Gustavo Bo is allegedly out of contract at the end of this season. Uh, and then obviously there's Matt Turner's interest abroad. He's under a long-term contract as well, but if European teams come calling, um, he might be going as well. So, so this core that they have built over the past few years, it, it might be dispersing. So just having the supporter shield to kind of look back on, to remember this team and this core, uh, I, I think is really special. Winning fixes everything. Those 14 years were tough. You had the ups, the downs, like you said, the 2014 season, where it's kind of the Cinderella story. And then one of your lows was when Brad Friedel was head coach, you know, just two and a half years ago, under the instruction of Brad Friedel, I can't imagine that you thought you would be in the position and talking to us about winning Supporter Shield. You know, through the first 13 matches of 2019, the Revs had just 11 points. And then the greatest of all time, the GOAT, which you might be calling him, I'm not sure, Bruce Arena took over, leading the Revs to a seventh place finish and a trip to the playoffs. And then one year later in 2020, the Revs made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals where they were knocked out by my beloved crew. But now look where we are. We kind of switched spots. And now, two and a half years after Brad Friedel departs, the New England Revolution are supporters shield champs. How much of this team's success is because of Bruce? And why do you think he has been able to right this ship so quickly? Well, before I answer your question, too, I just want to say we did a podcast when uh, Brad Friedel was fired, and we actually listed off all of the head coaches. And before we did this podcast, we said, should we list Bruce Arena as a candidate? And we assumed there was no way Bruce uh, uh, Robert Kraft was going to be cutting checks for Bruce Arena to come in and uh, take over this team. So so we did a lot more smaller candidates, and we, we didn't think that any there was any chance that Bruce Arena would be taking over uh, that dumpster fire. But, um, yeah, I mean, he deserves – 95% of the credit for taking over this roster. I mean, the fact that they made the playoffs in 2019 itself just kind of shows how well-respected and how great of a coach he is um, because that team, before Brad Friedel was let go, it was expected there would be widespread changes to the roster. Brad Friedel himself made a lot of comments that he wanted a lot of those players gone as well, but he was handcuffed by the front office above him. Uh, so it was kind of expected that a lot of that roster would be turned over. Uh, and Bruce Arena kind of came in and had everyone playing back up to their potential. Um, I do give his predecessor, uh, Brad Friedel and Mike Burns, the GM, uh, some credit. Uh, they, they did bring in Carlos Heel, and that was a personal connection from Brad Friedel. So I think he get, deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, but Gustavo Bo, Adam Buxa uh, certainly were brought in under Bruce Arena. Matt Turner was given back the starting job when Bruce Arena took over and he's taken off. Uh, Tejan Buchanan has developed Brandon Bai and Dewan Jones, two young outside backs we got through the Super Draft. They've developed perfectly. Uh, Matt Polster has been, uh, a lot of Revolution fans believe he's an all-star caliber midfielder. Um, he was a Bruce Arena acquisition. Uh, so Bruce Arena's fingerprints are all over this. And um, really, I mean, it, he just deserves all the credit in the world for taking over a team that isn't necessarily a high-budget team whatsoever, but he's come in and he's completely, as I say, uh, for him to turn that that team from where we were getting blown out 5 nothing by Philadelphia and Chicago uh, two and a half years ago to Supporter Shield winners with three games to go, 
um, it, it's truly amazing that uh, Bruce Arena was able to accomplish that. I mean, it, it really is. It's amazing to see the the standard that he has instilled in this team. I mean, even just watching the Orlando game and, and hearing some of the comments after the game, you know, when they scored that goal that tied the game late in the game, um, they panned over to Bruce Reed on the sideline and everybody, you see Shaw Reed Joseph in the background and with, with other people and they're just going crazy. Right. And Bruce Reed is like looking around, like trying to get a hold of the players, like calm down. It's not over yet. It's two, two. We might have, we can, we can get another one. He could see that the momentum had built up there. Mm-hmm. And then the comments after the game of, you know, um, yeah, we're happy, you know, we got a point, but it, it wasn't good enough, you know, and, and to, to have that kind of stoic um, nature about him and the, you know, way that he, he carries himself in that it's not good enough just to get two points, even when he knew that he changed the roster the way that he did going into that game is it just goes to show what he's instilled in the players as well. And it shows obviously through their results. Yeah, and, and another thing too that's interesting is, a lot of people have asked Bruce Arena about expectations throughout the year. And a lot of people talked to him at the beginning of the season about expectations because some people felt the revolution were a dark horse. Um, obviously, as you guys know, we, we made it to the Eastern Conference final with you guys. And I think a lot of people saw that playoff run and said, maybe there's something here with New England. Um, but if you ask Bruce Arena what his goals were at the beginning of the season, he would have just told you that it's just to make the playoffs. Uh, that's goal number one, and we'll worry about the rest later. So talking about the supporter shield and potentially breaking the uh, record for points, um, I think Bruce Arena was asked that today, and he said, you know, that that wasn't on our radar. We're just focused on the next game. We're just focused on making the playoffs. And right now our next goal is MLS Cup, so that's all we're focused on. So he he brings a lot of focus and a lot of clarity. And, and as you say, I, I noticed that too, his reaction after that second goal uh, he, he wasn't completely celebrating it because he knew that game wasn't over. And I think you're right. I think he knew that um, Orlando was a bit of a mess in the back and we could certainly have pushed for a third. And we almost got it. Adam Buchs yeah. almost got his hat trick late yep. in that game as well. So yeah, yeah, Bruce arena just knows the strings to pull with his team. It's pretty fun to watch. Yeah. It's amazing what he's done, but as much as this has to do with coaching, um, it also has to do with the roster. I mean, you touched on the roster here just a little bit, but the Revs have three of the best DPs in the league. MLS vets playing their roles and exceeding expectations and young guys being groomed into MLS studs. Um, talk to us about this team's roster construction from the DPs down from a player standpoint. Why has the roster been able to succeed the way that it has this year? Well, I think a lot of it begins in, with, with Carla's heel uh, and just the way he facilitates the ball. And it's interesting because he was a best 11 player under Brad Friedel in his first season in MLS, and he's gotten better under Bruce Arena. Uh, They really give him a lot of freedom to roam around the pitch. And he just has such an amazing vision. Um, So I I think just everything kind of goes through Carla's heel. And I I talked about a lot of players that they are expected to um, depart with at the end of the season. And one of, uh, I I think kind of the silver lining with the revolution is that Carla's heel was given an extension uh, earlier this year. So a lot of Revs fans are comforted that uh, he's going to be staying for longer. But um, Gustavo Bo was just another amazing signing. Uh, the Revolution needed a forward, uh, signed almost immediately when Bruce Arena came in, can score from anywhere on the pitch, and he gives a really good, uh, you know, I guess deep shot threat. Um, he can really score from anywhere over the pitch, and this year, especially in 2021, he's developed a really nice vision, uh, really nice playmaking ability. He's got five assists in his last six games. Um, if you look at the Orlando City highlights, he has a beautiful ball to Adam Buxa that's perfectly weighted. Uh, and then on that note, Adam Buxa, he struggled a little bit last year, had six goals. Um, a lot of fans were very frustrated and wondering if they should essentially buy him out and then go get another designated player. But 
Um, Adam Buxa is only 24. He started to make some appearances with the Polish national team this year. He's making a lot of really better runs, a lot of smarter plays. He's kind of caught up to MLS's uh, physicality and kind of the speed of the game. Uh, and once he kind of figured that out and where to make runs, Heel and Bo have really just been able to kind of put the ball on a tee for him. Dewan Jones uh, the other day too, uh, able to kind of throw one up for him and Buxa was able to time that one perfectly as well. So the three designated players really kind of have improved over time uh, not that they were ever poor or bad, but they've really developed and they're all really gelling together, uh, which I, I don't think was known at the beginning of this year. I think a lot of Revs fans weren't sure if they could all play together, if he would be able to distribute to Buxa and Bo, if, if there was enough goals to go around. And as it's kind of turned out, Heel and Bo are kind of playing off of each other and Buxa is in the mix as well. Uh, and then in terms of other players that I, I just want to throw out there, Tejan Buchanan was a super draft pick in 2019. Um, he's kind of come out of nowhere uh, in the last year or so, scoring against Mexico in the Gold Cup. He has a, a very, very dangerous uh, threat on the wing. Uh, I know he's playing right back last year in the playoffs, so if you're Orlando or Philadelphia or a Columbus fan, you might remember him kind of at, at right back, but he's been playing in the midfield this year. Um, another, as I said, Matt Polster also kind of is the uh, glue that holds this uh, game together because um, when the wingbacks push up, Dewan Jones and Tejan Buchanan, or, or sorry, when Dewan Jones and Brendan By push up, uh, Matt Polster drops back and adds kind of another defensive presence. Uh, but he's also very aggressive in the midfield as well and uh, can lead a quick counterattack. So uh, there's a number of players on this team that just kind of over time have improved. Uh, and, and really, the Revolution are just physical and dominant in every phase of the game. Yeah. So one thing I was doing when preparing for this podcast was just looking at old Bruce Arena quotes and he just is not a guy for the analytics or for the tactics and he's shown that he's flexible in what he wants to deploy tactically whether it's a diamond in the midfield or a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 with two uh, two lines of four you know four defenders and four in the midfield and so and saying that like he's, he's not married to a specific tactic and so I'm just wondering, like, is his strong suit getting the best out of players? Mike D, I know you're in love with Tommy McNamara, okay? And Matt Polster, two guys that are kind of MLS vets. Uh, Andrew Farrell, who's been in the league for quite a while, he's getting the best of those three guys, whereas he's developed Tejan Buchanan into a guy that's already been sold over to Europe, Brandon Bai and Dewan Jones as wingbacks. Like, is that his strong suit, is getting players to play up to their ability and developing them? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's another strong suit as well. And I think it's also not asking players to do too much. Uh, Tommy McNamara is a great example because the Revolution acquired him from Houston last year in a trade, uh, and they re-signed him last year on, a, I believe, a one-year contract. And so Tommy McNamara, kind of your veteran MLS midfielder, you know, probably didn't, you know, change the odds of the Revolution to win MLS Cup very much. It's not exactly a, you know, top-of-the-line player that's going to be making the all-star game. But uh, there's been some rotation in that midfield, and Tommy McNamara has kind of come in and give a calming presence in that midfield. Um, doesn't have a lot of turnovers, very accurate passer, plays very well in that diamond, as you said, or in the 4-2-3-1, which the Revolution did at the beginning of the season. Um, and he's pretty versatile. I've seen him out on the left a little bit as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Bruce Arena sees the value in MLS veterans, uh, like Tommy McNamara, like Matt Polster, who he remembered from the Chicago Fire and he brought back from Rangers. Um, he, he sees the vet those veteran players and he knows what he can ask of them. Uh, and those veterans are put in a position to succeed and let the star players kind of take over the game. 
I never thought that I would enjoy watching Tommy McNamara play. Uh, for a while, I didn't think that he was the best quality player. And um, watching him play with with other teams, I was like, wow, this this guy's playing in the MLS. But um, this year, I mean, watching him play with the Revolution, I think he's got two goals and six assists. Um, and he hasn't done that in uh, I can't remember what year. But it's it's but it's been a couple years since he's put any kind of numbers up like that. So. And watching him play in that midfield, you know, filling in a role when needed, um, just doing his job, just fantastic. Hats off to him. Hats off to Bruce Arena for getting the best out of that kind of player. No, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. Another guy, too, that I think probably goes under the radar, but I think is a dark horse for making a big impact off of the bench is Emmanuel Boateng. Um, you know, he's a speedy winger that is he's not going to be starting. I don't know how many games he has. I don't have his stats pulled up, uh, but they didn't play him really for the first half of the season. And then he came off the bench at times and really gave them a decent speed off option off the bench. And he, he made pretty big impacts in limited minutes. Uh, and they've played him a little bit at left back when the, they need a goal uh, and they take off uh, Dewan Jones or Christian Moffler, whoever's at left back that game. Uh, Emmanuel Boateng has kind of played that attacking wing back role uh, and has been pretty good at it. So that's another example of a veteran player that, again, you know, a lot of fans might know the name or not think much of, but... Um, he, he has a very nice role with the Revolution. And as I say, if the Revolution are down one, you can he, you might expect him to come off and uh, make a real impact and turn the game around. We've seen the inner MLS moves really pay dividends for a lot of clubs around MLS, including the Revolution. Houston Dynamo are struggling, but they did a little bit of offseason rebuild this last year, and they signed like three or four MLS vets. And we just saw Mark Anthony Kay midseason go – from LAFC over to Colorado. And so these inner MLS moves are huge and it's not always spending the big money. Greg, earlier in the podcast, you referred to the revs not being a huge spending team. I was looking at the salaries just for the, or the wages for just the month of September. You guys are 20th out of 27 in spending and player wages. And you guys are running away with the league this year. So spending money doesn't always correlate with winning games. And you guys maybe are doing it the, Maybe this is the right way. Maybe this is Moneyball. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of context with MLS. I'm sure you guys know how, how MLS works. And really, the highest spending teams are just the highest spending DPs uh, or the, the DPs that make the most money. Um, yeah, it, it is kind of fun to look, though, at this team and all the players that really aren't getting paid. I don't want to say not getting paid what they're worth. Uh, but Tejon Buchanan is making, I think, 110000 because he's still on his super draft contract. And Dewan Jones and Brandon Bod. Dewan Jones is drawing European interest, and he hasn't cracked 100000 yet. Uh, Matt Turner has signed two contract extensions. I, I think he is something like the 18th highest paid goalkeeper in the league. Uh, and, and not to rub it in any crew fan's face, but uh, I believe Evan Bush is your backup. Evan Bush makes more than Matt Turner this year. Um, so, you know, they've been very smart with their spending for the, um, TAM, actually, I don't think they have any TAM level players, but for the domestic players, for the MLS moves, uh, that are within that salary cap, Bruce Arena has been very smart and everything has kind of worked out for him. And then of course you look at the designated players, uh, and you know, Adam Buchs is making 1 million, Carlos Hill got a raise. I believe he's up to about 3 million right now. And Gustavo Bo is at two and a half million. Um, those are all really, really good values for the numbers they're putting up. So, yeah, even though they're 20th right now, um, you can look at that team and there's just immense value uh, top to bottom. And, and really a lot of players should get some raises. And, and I, I'm also curious, too, if 
Tejan Buchanan, the sale of Tejan Buchanan, they're getting $7 million back from that. Uh, I'm curious to see if they reinvest and go, you know, put that money back into the team and increase their spending in the offseason. I wouldn't be shocked if we see their uh, total dollars spent in player salary go up by a couple million. I'm honestly shocked to hear that Books is only making a million, Hill's making three, and Bo's making two and a half. And, you know, like you said, the main reason that they're 20th out of 27 in wage spending is because of what they're paying their DPs. And the value that you guys are getting that you just spoke of, there's 35 goals and 30 assists this year. That is more goals than, I believe, Austin FC and Cincinnati total with just those three guys. The value is insane that you're getting with these three guys. But, Mike D, I'm, since I'm here, I'm just rolling with it. So, you know, there's been a lot of argument about MVP. Is it Jao Paulo, Daniel Shallowy, Carlos Hill? Like, who is it? We're not going to get into that argument. But, like, the value that all three of your DPs provide, Buxa was 16 goals and three assists, Gustavo Bo, 15 goals, nine assists, Carlos Hill, four goals and 18 assists. Like, and I'll also throw in Matt Turner here, okay? Because he's done really, really well this year. Four shutouts, 94 saves. 3.6 saves per 90 minutes, which is like fourth in the league. So you could throw him in there. But of those guys, or maybe somebody else, but I doubt it, who would your MVP for the New England Revolution this year be? So all year I've been saying Carlos Heel. And I, up until last week, that was my pick. And I, I actually, some Revs fans that might be listening to this will probably be surprised by this, but I'm actually going to switch to Gustavo Bo. Uh, Gustavo Bo has really stepped up. Carlos Hill was also out for a month. Actually, let me rewind a little bit. Let me give you the full story. Carlos Hill was on pace to break the MLS assist record this season, which was 26 by Carlos Valderrama back in 2000. Uh, I think only three people have had 20 or more assists in MLS, and Carlos Hill probably should be there uh, if he gets two more assists in these final two games. But um, he had a leg injury. Uh, he had a muscle injury. Uh, that made him miss a month. He missed about five games and that kind of threw off of his pace. And since he's returned, he's still been very, very effective, but hasn't been as effective as he has in the first half of the season. Uh, but Gustavo Bo really carried the load while he was gone. And if you look at Gustavo Bo's goals from this season, I mean, there are some low percentage shots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th yeah. there are some goals that are created out bangers. of absolutely <laughs> nothing. Bangers. They're going to be in the goal of the year uh, sections. There was like a three-week span where he had like ridiculous goal after ridiculous goal. Yeah. Uh, so Gustavo Bo had the goal scoring uh, argument in his corner while Carles Heel had the playmaker side. But as I mentioned, Gustavo Bo has stepped up so much as a passer down this stretch. Five assists in his last six games. Um, I'm, I'm not saying he's as good of a facilitator as Carlos Heel, but when Carlos Heel is marked and when he's getting roughed up, which happens virtually every single game, uh, Gustavo Bo has done a really great job in, in, in dropping back the midfield uh, and, and helping distribute the ball and helping create chances. So Gustavo Bo kind of being that two-way player, um, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. And I think right now he's sitting at 15 goals and eight assists. Those are MVP numbers to me. Um, Adam Buxa really has made his way into the MVP conversation and the Golden Boot conversation uh, now that he's sitting at 16 goals. Uh, and as someone who's been pro Buxa pretty much his entire tenure, it's it's great to see. Uh, but I, I don't think I would give him the nod over uh, Gustavo Bo just because, as I say, he and I haven't looked at any expected goal uh, stats lately, but. I, I'm, I bet you his expected goals is near where his um, actual goals are. There are some chances that he uh, kind of misses and kind of flubs away. Uh, so I think Gustavo Bo is, is going to get my MVP vote. 
but but Carla's heel, as I say, is the predominant choice in New England just because he is so vital. And I think if you look at the league leader in key passes, even though Carla's heel missed five or six games, he's still up in that uh, in that stack category by a laughable amount. Yeah, it's it's not even close. But I I love the Gustavo Bo shout. Mike D was like. Why are we asking this? It's got to be Carlos Hill, right? I'm like, all right, we'll see. We'll get it from a New England Revolution fan's <laughs> point of view. And what you basically just said to me about Bo is get you a man that can do both. You know, absolutely. Does, well, may- and, well, and as I say, everyone thought Carlos Hill is, is the MVP candidate this entire season. And then it, just lately, the past couple of months, Gustavo Bo has been on a different level. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 actually a bit of a debate within the revolution community over which one of these players should be the MVP of the team. Uh, And if anything, it's actually a little concerning that they're going to split the vote when time comes. Uh, But both in my mind are, are, there's no wrong answer. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of personnel, we just talked about your possible MVP candidates on the team. Let's get back to the Orlando city SC game that we were referring to earlier when we discussed all the small things. So Arena, like we said, made nine rotations to the usual starting 11 on Sunday. The only two regular starters were Andrew Farrell and Matt Turner. And after going down 2-0 in the first half, Arena subbed in the ringers, the MVPs, Carlos Hill, Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo, Dewan Jones, and Tejon Buchanan to rescue a point. And that they did on a brace from Adam Buxa. What were your thoughts on the tactics going into this game? Really, the initial starting 11 the subs after halftime and just the match in general. Well, I wasn't very surprised to see the lineup that Bruce arena had run out. He does the rotation at times and he's complained a lot about the congested schedule. So this being a Saturday game in between two Wednesday games, I wasn't totally shocked about it. The other thing too, is I wasn't shocked when I saw the rain uh, come down. The start of that match was brutal. Uh, So I was not surprised to see a lot of the big names kind of sitting out for that one. Um, But, my reaction too was I wanted to see uh, kind of the reserve players and see who could kind of win minutes going into the playoffs. Cause certainly the guys that haven't played a lot this season uh, had a chance to impress um, AJ De La Garza was one person that I know some fans were looking at as potentially taking over the right back spot for Brandon by who has struggled lately. Uh, and thanks to Nani, that is probably not happening anymore. Uh, De La Garza got burned a couple of times and didn't have yeah. his best match. So I, I think he's going to be uh, a guy that's going to sit ride the bench and maybe only play in case of emergency. Um, but another guy is Wilfred Captoum, who actually I believe is surprisingly the fourth uh, highest paid player on the, the Revs, I believe, at about half a million dollars. He was a guy that they signed from the Barcelona Academy. He had an injury history coming in. And he hasn't really shown fans a lot so far. And the jury is still out, but with that central midfield position and then playing a diamond, um, you know, he, I think Bruce Arena still has hopes that he's going to kind of hit his potential and kind of hit his stride. And he had some nice runs and he had some nice dribbles in that game, um, but still isn't showing a lot to the Revolution fans. Uh, so I'm curious to see if we see him uh, down the stretch. Uh, but so, yeah, that, that first half was really interesting just to see in the frame of who's going to win minutes and, and who's going to be um, making the argument for their spot in the playoffs. Uh, and I don't think anyone really made a good argument as the result of that uh, one nothing uh, score at the end of the first half. Um, was really surprised to see the big guns come in for that second half. I kind of figured with the condition of the field and the conditions and the fact that the revolution had already wrapped up the supporter shield, maybe that's not a game where you want to bring in these players, especially with them playing Wednesday. But 
Um, I, in hindsight, I know Bruce Arena has complained about potentially having 20 days off between the inner Miami game at the end of the season on the season finale and the first round of the playoffs, uh, or I shouldn't say the first round, but the first revolution game uh, with the buy in hand. So uh, I, I think Bruce Arena is trying to keep his guys fresh. Uh, and I also think he wants to see his team face a hostile crowd in Orlando City fans and playing a really, really tough team on the road. And I, I think uh, the big guns met expectations and passed that test with flying colors. So Orlando City played 45 minutes with, against the Revolutions, seemingly the, the B team. Mikey, you've played soccer. Like if you were 45 minutes in and in, into a game and then they bring in Carlos Hill, Adam Buxa, Gustavo, Bo, Jones, and Buchanan, like, like, oh shit, I don't know if I have the legs for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally. Um, you, you know they mean business at that point, which, which kind of gets me into our next question here. With two games remaining, you talked about the conditions and being surprised that Bruce brought in those good guns in the second half. You know, both of these next two games are matches at home, one against Colorado Rapids, the next one against Inter-Miami. And the Revolution need three points to surpass LAFC's 72-point regular season total point record. You talked about being surprised that Bruce Arena brought these guys in, but I'm not surprised. People talk about Bruce not caring about records and things like that, but you guys have already won the Shield. I think Bruce cares about this record. How important is it for the Revs and its fan base to set this record for most points this season? You think they're going to do it? Well, yeah, if you ask Bruce Arena, he's going to give you the standard answer of, oh, we don't pay attention to that, but it absolutely matters. I think you're 100% correct that deep down, uh, I think Bruce Arena, that would be very sweet for him. The other thing, too, is, and I don't want to bring up bad memories, too, but if you're Bruce Arena, you also kind of have to, in a way, prove yourself again, because I think a lot of fans still associate him with the Trinidad and Tobago fiasco. And so I, I think part of him really wants to make a statement. So I know he's not going to say that. I know he's going to say the right things to the media. Um, but I, I absolutely, he's going to play these starters on Wednesday. He's already made that statement. And someone asked him what his goals are for the next two games. And his response was simply improve and to win the games. So if you ask Bruce Arena, their goal right now is 76 points. Uh, or, or if right. you want an honest answer out of Bruce Arena, their goal is to get 76 points. Um, and what would it mean to the revolution? I think it would just build off that supporter shield even more. Uh, I think it'd mean a lot to the fans that not only you have a trophy, but you have a record. Um, and as I say, it feels like the revolution are kind of the team MLS forgot. Uh, they could have had a potential dynasty in the 2000s, and really they came away with nothing. They had some MLS appearances, they have a Superliga, uh, and they have an Open Cup, uh, which is a real shame that that those teams really didn't get their due. But um, I think the Revolution kind of walking away with a trophy and a record, um, I just think it would be it would mean a whole lot, and I think it would put the Revolution back on the map in terms of the MLS landscape. 100%. Yeah, it and just going into the playoffs, looking at a purely momentum standpoint, like you want to go in there with, despite the record, you want to go in with 76 points. You want two wins heading into the playoffs. You want that confidence built in this team. So DC United, the then Kansas City Wizards, LA Galaxy, the Columbus Crew, and Toronto FC are the only five teams to win the Supporter Shield and followed up by also winning MLS Cup in the same season. In regards to winning MLS Cup, Adam Buxa had this to say, in quotes, it's not enough because we're hungry for more. We want to win MLS Cup. Greg, what are your expectations for the revolution and the playoffs? Ooh, that's a really tough one, too. I mean, the expectations is to win MLS Cup. 
I, I fully believe the Revolution are the best team in Major League Soccer. I know Seattle fans are a little salty this week, uh, but the expectation is MLS Cup or bust. Um, it's great to have the Supporters Shield, but it would be very heartbreaking to kind of go into the playoffs with this hype uh, and get knocked out, kind of what we did to Philadelphia last year. Um, I, I think that do that, that'd be very demoralizing overall for for that to happen. So um, it's interesting because. I know that a lot has been made of the layoff uh, locally. A lot has been made of the layoff and there's an expected, I think 23 days uh, between the end of the season and the first revolution playoff game. And that's after I think 10 days between this Colorado game and the Miami game. So uh, Bruce arena has kind of mentioned that he's going to be looking for a USL side to scrimmage with, or maybe a local side to kind of play in between that gap to keep the legs fresh. Um, so, I mean, rest is not going to be a factor here. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be sitting any of these starters. They're going to expect them to play uh, and keep them fresh. Uh, and if anyone can keep, can, can, as you mentioned, five of those, those five teams you said that have won the Supporter Shield and MLS Cup, I, I believe in the rare instances it's happened, Bruce Arena has done it twice. Uh, so, you know, I, I, if anyone can do it, it's Bruce Arena. Um, there's really no excuses for the revolution not to have at least a deep playoff run, uh, but expectation right now, bring home the cup. Yeah, I would really like to see the New England Revolution pull this off in the playoffs. They've had one of the best seasons. Well, they will have the best single season in MLS history by the time these next two games are done uh, against Colorado and enter Miami. Uh, I love the roster they put together. And like you said throughout this podcast, this could be the last chance that the Revolution have with this roster to win the double and to get this success right now. So I, I think the pressure is on. Yeah, a little bit of pressure is off because you guys did win Supporter Shield. You guys are going to set the record. But I think to set the standard, it's going to be to win MLS Cup 2021. And I think you guys will do it. But, Greg, let me ask you this one. You think they're going to win it. When they make it there, who do you think they're going to face out of the West? Because you guys got Colorado on tomorrow, and I think that could be a, a formidable opponent in MLS Cup if they make it that far. Yeah, absolutely. And another reason, too, I don't think Bruce Arena wants to rest anyone this week is because he wants to see how the team does against Colorado and against a potential MLS Cup uh, opponent uh, out of the West. So that's a tough one. I am going to lean Seattle. Uh, that might be a bit of a hot take, but uh, I, I feel like, uh, well, another thing too, is that it's going to be the Kellen Rowe revenge game. Uh, longtime revolution player, Kellen Rowe going over to Seattle uh, and, and then coming actually, well, sorry, he went over to Kansas city, came back last season uh, and then signed in Seattle. Um, so I, I think there might be a little bit of a subplot there, but uh, I've really been impressed with Seattle and that's kind of been the team that I've had my eye on all year long. Um, I know it's, I mean, take your pick in the West. Uh, it, it's really deep. Uh, there are a lot of good teams out there. I wouldn't be shocked to see Colorado, which is your pick as well. I, I might feel differently if Colorado comes in and upsets the revolution on Wednesday. Uh, but right now, if you're asking me, uh, I'm going to pick uh, Seattle to, to kind of lead. I'm really impressed with uh, their season that they're having. Yeah, and they're having that season without Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris. And rumor has it those boys are coming back. So if they do come back in time for the playoffs, chances are you guys will probably see them. But I would love to see a Rapids first revolution. That, that's a bit of that's a bit of a wild card too. I mean, it's a little scary to think the season that they're having. If those two players come back and they're back in form, 
uh, that's that's a bit scary. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I Sounders fans and Revolution fans have been chirping a little bit uh, this past week. Uh, so probably just because of karma, those are going to be the teams that uh, end up in the final. I love the Kellen Rowe revenge game shout because, you know, I, I watched a good amount of Revolution over the past few years when Kellen Rowe was there. And I, you know, I, I was, I don't want to say I was never truly impressed, but my God, he's absolutely stood out for Seattle this year. He's been such a huge piece in everything that they've done. I've, I've absolutely loved what he, what he's done there. So I would hate for him to end up coming back and playing against revolution and MLS cup in new England. Cause you guys will host and, and take you guys down. I hate to see that Greg <laughs> <laughs> would, would also hate to see him score, but um, yeah, what's interesting too about Cullen Rowe is he's one of the more divisive players among revolution fans too. I think a lot of people hold that opinion of, you know, not really there, not a player they've been very impressed with. Uh, if you go back and you look at the, um, you know, his stats and some of his seasons year by year. I mean, he had some really, really great seasons. At one point he was with the United States uh, in the gold cup. I think it was 2016. Uh, I'd have to go back. Maybe it was 2017, actually 2017. Um, but Kellen Rowe, the end of his tenure here was a bit chippy. He got forced to left back really out of need, uh, not because he was a left back, but just because they had no one else playing there. He was very un unhappy under Brad Friedel uh, and his kind of comeback last year and his second stint didn't go great. Uh, but really, he's one of those players that when you're in the right system, everything just kind of clicks. So, yeah, it's, it's great to see him doing well in Seattle. But, uh, yeah, I hope it doesn't come back to bite us in the end. Yeah. Mike D, who do you got in the final, man? While we're here, while we're talking about who you got? I mean, absolutely. I, I would agree that it's it's either going to be – I mean, definitely I think it's going to be New England, 100% um, out of the East. Don't just say that because Greg's here. No, I mean, <laughs> out of the East is absolutely going to be New England. There's no There's no – Debating that, I don't think that anybody would argue that New England's not coming out of the East. Um, I think Sporting Kansas City. I think Sporting Kansas City is going to come out of the West, and I think it's going to be Sporting Kansas City, New England. Yeah. Now, let me let me pose this to you guys, just because you know I know you guys aren't picking New England because I'm here, but take out New England, who would you pick coming out of the East? Holy moly, that's that's uh, that's tough. I, I would have it's to go with, just, with Philadelphia. I'd have to go with the Union. Man, I don't think Nashville is good enough offensively. Um, Orlando has been. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to. I'd have to agree. I think it would either be, it would be between. Uh, it's a toss. -up, maybe, maybe, okay. You know what? No, no, no. I would say New York City. Okay. If they can, if they can play all games in Yankee Stadium, definitely. If they can score a <laughs> touchdown in a baseball stadium, absolutely. I got New York City. I mean, they're just when they're firing, they 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 have offensive firepower, and um, that's who I would. That's who I maybe a little bit of a wild card there, but that's who I would. I would say it's similar. They kind of. I don't want to say they played like the Revs, but it's kind of counter press. They press in the attacking third. They don't always look to play in possession. They're a very vertical team, so they could pose problems to teams in the playoffs. So, yeah, that's that's a good shout, Mike D, but just because yeah, the Union are just – they've been a phenomenal second. team. Yeah, because they're second. No, yeah. they, Mike... they've been a – Jim Curtin's a phenomenal coach. They've been really good over the last month, and they've proven over the past couple of years that even when they play their young kids, like, they can perform, and – 
I, I think they have what it takes to make a run if New England were to slip up. I do. I'm all about the story in the playoffs. All about the story in the playoffs. The underdogs coming in and knocking off the big boys. So. Yeah, but what uh, about the crew, man? The crew could come all the way through, you know? Not even going to make it in. We're not talking about it. We're not going to get into that now. We're not getting into it. We're not going to get into it. We got a 2% chance, man. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I, I would throw a shout for New York City FC as well. Uh, I think if I had to pick, I'm, I'm going to go with them. But I also just want to throw out as a real dark horse that I think not a lot of people are talking about. Someone mentioned to me that the Red Bulls are unbeaten in their last eight games. And they're not playing, you know, weak teams. They, they played NYCFC. I think they played Philadelphia a few weeks ago. Uh, they're playing some good teams very, very tough. So there's a few road games for them there. Uh, it would be a very tough path for them to come out of the East. Uh, but seeing what the Revolution did last year as an eight seed, which typically doesn't even get you into the playoffs, I know how important being hot is. So I just wanted to give yeah. the Red Bulls a shout as maybe a dark horse to kind of squeak their way out of the East. Greg, when you mentioned tough teams the Red Bulls have faced, you failed to mention the Columbus <laughs> Crew. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's one. I, I just listed some off the top of my head. Obviously, I'm they're kidding. Okay. I'm <laughs> kidding. Defending MLS Cup champions, you got. I mean, you got to say that for a few more months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With a heavy heart. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike D. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for Greg before we talk him to sleep? No. Uh, one final thought I have is you know. An MLS original, supporter shield trophy winner, potential record to be broken, potential MLS Cup winners to make it a double. Um, New England is revving the engines, and they're 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 fighting to get a, a, a fantastic finish here at the end. And um, I would be excited to see them win, just because of you know having Bruce and. This, the kind of stigma that comes around Bruce and where they've come from and what Bruce has done with the team. So I'm excited to see how this season finished out for them. Um, Greg, thanks so much for coming on. We really do appreciate you. Hey, I really appreciate coming on. And I just want to say thank you for not mentioning a soccer-specific stadium once uh, during this interview. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, and I think I speak for all Revs fans that we're very jealous. You guys are already on your second one. So uh, thank you very much for having me on. And good luck to the crew the rest of the season and next year. That's very nice of you. If you were New York City FC, we might have really rubbed it in your face since you're going back and forth between Yankee Stadium and Red Bull Arena. But we're not New York City FC fans, man. We're, we'll support the revolution from here on out. All right, Greg? So thank you for joining us on MLS Gone Wild tonight, my man. All right. Thank you for having me, guys. Listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode of MLS Gone Wild featuring Revolution Recap host Greg Johnstone. Revolution hosts third place in the West, Colorado Rapids, tomorrow night with their eyes on the single-season point record prize. Tune in to watch history be made. Deadline day's around the corner. You guys be sure to catch all the action. Until next time, we'll catch you guys later. Peace.